welcome to the We Talk Health podcast, the official podcast for West Tennessee Healthcare. Please be advised that this podcast is not intended to replace any medical advice. Always follow your medical professional's advice and direction. Nothing said in this podcast is intended to supersede or supplement the direction of your medical caretakers. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer any questions you may have. Welcome to another episode of We Talk Health. My name is Will Castigro, and joining me today in the studio is Scott Sweat. He is an RN and a structural heart coordinator for the West Tennessee Heart and Vascular Center. Scott, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Will. Thanks for coming in. We're certainly glad to have you today, and we're very glad to be talking about the TAVR program or the TAVR procedure. Now, before we dive into that, I want to ask you a little bit about you. So just tell me a little bit about yourself, what your role is at the Heart and Vascular Center, and we'll kind of go from there. Sure, thanks. Um, I've had the privilege of being a nurse for about 15 years now and been in the Heart and Vascular Center for, well, since 2012. Awesome. What is your role at the Heart and Vascular Center? So I'm uh, the coordinator for the program. Okay. So when a patient is referred with severe aortic stenosis, I jump in and help behind the scenes navigate their workup, patient education and teaching, and see them from our first introduction all the way to a year after their procedure. Okay, so you, a second ago you said a term that I'd never heard before, aortic. Sure. What was it again, aortic? aortic stenosis. Stenosis. What yes. is that? So inside our heart, there's four functioning heart valves, mm-hmm. valves that open and close with every beat of the heart. And for many, many years now, those have been able to be surgically repaired through different procedures by a cardiothoracic surgeon. Okay. The industry developed a less invasive method of replacing at least one of those valves, and that is the aortic valve can now be replaced minimally invasive, less surgery time, faster recovery. Okay. And so you mentioned the aortic stenosis. Over time, some patients will develop calcium, Mm -hmm. and it will build up on the heart valve and will reduce its ability to open as large as it should. Okay. Patients may be told by their physicians that they've got a heart murmur. It can actually be listened to with Mm -hmm. a stethoscope. Sometimes you can even hear it without a stethoscope. But that restriction or aortic stenosis causes uh, some very challenging symptoms to develop in the patient. Okay. So I guess that's where the TAVR could come into play. So can you tell me what TAVR is? Is that an acronym for something? What is it? Sure, it sure is. TAVR stands for transcatheter aortic valve replacement. Okay. And some physicians, cardiologists may refer to it as TAVI, T-A-V-I, okay. transcatheter aortic valve insertion. Because unlike traditional aortic valve surgery, which involves removing the old valve, we're actually implanting a new valve, leaving the old valve in place. When the new gotcha. valve okay. is implanted, through transcatheter methods, this TAVR, the old valve stands up and is lifted up out of the way, and the new valve is implanted in there. Okay. So is this procedure considered an open-heart surgery, or is it something to where you can make an incision in a leg or somewhere else in the body and insert it that way? So the outcome is the same in terms of the functionality of the valve. Okay. But no, it's not open-heart surgery. Open heart, as we traditionally refer to it, is where the heart is 
temporarily stopped mm-hmm. and lung bypass machines and other machines do the work of the heart while the physician, the cardiothoracic surgeon, is actually goes in and removes the old valve and surgically sews in a new valve. Gotcha. That's okay. manufactured. This method, the transcatheter, transcatheter meaning a long, thin delivery device, mm-hmm. can go in through minimally invasive small holes, usually in the groin. Okay. But we can also implant in under the collarbone area, in the neck, through the side of the ribs. There's a lot of options for going in with a smaller entrance. Now, when we talk about transcatheter devices or tools, that's almost like a heart cath. Oh, okay. I see. In terms of the tool. But we're, heart cath is where we're looking at the function of the outside of the heart, the blood flow that feeds the heart muscle. But when we're talking about valves and the procedure we're doing, we're doing the work on the inside of the heart where those four different valves are opening and closing in sequence. Okay. A second ago, you mentioned you can insert the body in several different locations, whether it's the neck or under the collarbone or the groin. What determines where you insert? Sure. Through this workup, there's a lot of tests that are performed Mm -hmm. from echoes, which are looking at the heart function to heart casts, okay. which we want to make sure that there are not blockages feeding the artery. There's carotid ultrasound that we need to look at, pulmonary function test, chest x-rays, EKGs, and then the test, uh, the CTA, is a, is a CT resolution x-ray that gives us all the anatomy inside the chest cavity. So let's okay. just see all the arteries and the possibilities to go up. And then it also looks at, let us look at the heart as it's beating mm-hmm. and determine the size of that valve that failed. Oh, wow. Okay. So using all those images, then we can set down with a, as a group of physicians with multidisciplinary. So we've got cardiologists, cardiothoracic surgeons, and sit down and look at, pour over all these images and determine what type valve is needed, what mm-hmm. size the right approach. We will start trying to go up through the femoral arteries in the groin area, and then we'll go from there if that's not a viable option. For okay. So how long has the Heart and Vascular Center been doing this procedure? So it's been dreamed for years, and finally, as industry allowed, the United States, it was started in 2010 after having a lot of trials in Europe, mm-hmm. and then in the United States commercially in 2011. Okay. And then we started our program in 2012, having performed, as of today, over 400 of these. I was going to ask how many. That's that's great. So you guys are certainly well-versed in this procedure, and you, it's not just one person making decision. It's a group of physicians and providers exactly. sitting down and just deciding what's best for every single patient. Yes. That's amazing. And that adds to the to the length of workup for a patient. Traditional open heart surgery, once some of the tests are in line, it can be typically scheduled within a couple of weeks mm-hmm. because patients are typically stable, although they have developed increased shortness of breath, more weakness, more fatigue, maybe what we call congestive heart failure symptoms. Mm-hmm. But still, these patients are typically stable enough that we have time to work them up very thoroughly and schedule it out in advance. I see. Okay. This, is, this procedure is very specialized and we only use 
a very specialized operating room that was built for this program, which gives us the latest technology and tools. Because if you can imagine, we're doing everything through small incisions. This is not robotic surgery, but we might think of it as robotic in the fact that we're doing everything from outside the body. That's honestly really impressive that that is now available for patients to utilize. I don't know, 50 years ago, that would have just remained a dream. And now that it's an option, I think, I think it's really great. Exactly. Because most of the patients we're treating would have no other option mm-hmm. because they couldn't tolerate what would consider that traditional open heart surgery. It would be too much for them. Yeah. This is the viable option that's extended the life of a lot of patients. That's amazing. So speaking of those patients, who is eligible for this procedure? Sure. So typically the workup would start maybe with a primary care physician identifying that heart murmur we talked about. Okay. They could be referred to, or maybe they were first seen at a cardiologist that was already following them for other conditions. Okay. So that physician, the cardiologist or primary care, would do additional tests, determine that it is truly severe aortic stenosis, and then would be referred to one of our three cardiothoracic surgeons. Those uh, CV cardiothoracic surgeons will mm-hmm. uh, sit down with the patient, look over the findings, do an assessment, and then they will determine what's the best route for this patient. Okay. Because it still could be that traditional surgery is best for them. That's still a, a well-known with years of uh, clinical findings, and it may pre- present the best outcome for them. Or they may go uh, and be referred to the TAVAR team. Mm-hmm. At that point, they would go see one of our implanting cardiologists, and upon meeting with them, that would basically complete the workup. Okay. And it would be back in the team's hands to review everything, make a clinical decision, and then I would get in touch with them, and we would talk about options for surgery and dates. Okay. So let's say I, I'm a patient. I've been through all of this, and it is the day of my surgery to have the TAVAR Im- implanted. Uh, what does that look like for me? What, what are the steps that I'll be going through that day? Well, hopefully um, you'll be at ease because we will spend a massive amount of time talking with you and sure. your family and getting you prepared. In fact, the implanting cardiologist and I will meet with you the week before in person okay. at the hospital where we'll do some of the typical last tests, blood work, urine work, chest x-ray. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that you're tuned up and everything will run smoothly for surgery, which will be the following week. Okay. So what are some of the risks that are associated with the TAVAR procedure? So that's something we we want everyone to realize. If you can imagine if we're inside your heart through these remote catheters that can be referred to as a TAVAR procedure, and that's not to be downplayed at all because there's risk for death, Mm -hmm. there's risk for stroke, because we're inside dealing with a valve and your anatomy that's got calcium that's built up in it over time. Not to be confused with cholesterol. Okay. This is calcium deposits. Arteries, which are high blood flow vessels within the body, we're traveling through those. So there's risk for bleeding complications there. There's the use of dye, which helps illuminate when we shoot x-rays, the mm-hmm. dye that's released in the bloodstream lets us see the anatomy. Well, the kidneys uh, don't take too kindly to a lot of dye use. Mm-hmm. So we use as little as we have to, but it's necessary. Okay. So sometimes there's just a kidney. 
And then finally, there's a risk for heart rhythm problems because there's all kind of nerve endings Mm -hmm. inside the heart. And in this area where we're implanting a new valve, those nerve endings can get bruised and either temporarily cause the heart to beat too slow or it could become permanent. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we would require the use of a permanent pacemaker to be implanted. Okay. Which is much less invasive than the TAVR procedure that we're talking about. Gotcha. Okay. So it's easy to be alarmed at all the risks that are involved. Sure. But what we need everyone to realize is when you're diagnosed with severe aortic stenosis, you've got that heart murmur that the doctors will tell you about, and you start feeling these symptoms. When they start coming on, if this valve is not replaced, if we don't put a new valve in there, less than half of the patients will even make it to their second year. Oh, wow. So it's wow. it's necessary risk. Absolutely. So how long does a surgery typically take? So th- that's a, a great question. We'll start to finish, we like to say three hours. Okay. But that's truly start to finish. That's the time when the patient's separated from their family. They go back and meet our anesthesiologist. They get special lines that are placed uh, for the administering of anesthesia. They get rolled back to the OR, Mm -hmm. and they get prepped, and then our multiple teams work with them. And then that also includes the recovery time until the family gets to be back with them. Gotcha. Okay. So surgery is about an hour, start to finish, three hours. Okay. We've talked about what, like, TAVR is, but how, how does it work? Sure. I love telling this part of it, Will, because it's kind of magic in a way. To think of taking a typical valve that's about, on average, the size of a quarter. Mm-hmm. Most people's heart valves are about quarter to smaller than half a dollar. And then being able to implant that through a hole that's smaller than the end of the cap on a pin, which if you look it up, it's five millimeters. We need a five millimeter entrance to put a 26 to 29 millimeter heart valve through. Ooh, that's so there's not a lot of space there. (laughs) So what happens is the manufacturers, and there are two that are currently commercially available, and we use them equally. Mm -hmm. It's called Medtronics and Edwards Life Sciences. Those two valves are made in factories with harvested tissue from animals. Okay. And when they come to us, then we collapse that down. We we make it get really small and skinny Mm -hmm. by placing it on or inside a heart catheter, a long delivery system. Okay. So it goes from that half dollar, quarter size, down to super small. And we are then able to, through looking at x-rays as we're traveling up the body, go in and travel around and place the valve on the catheter in the side of beating heart. And when we've got it perfectly lined up using our echo machine and x-rays, and the doctors are comfortable with the position, at that point, we're going to cause the heart to beat really fast for about 10 to 15 seconds. Okay. If you could imagine trying to dam up a stream mm-hmm. while it, the water's running, it's difficult. Sure. So if you get it to a trickle, what we do during that time that the valve is lined up and we're ready, we take the heart and we cause it to beat 160 to 180 beats a minute. Mm-hmm. It's just for 10 seconds or 15. That causes the heart to be a very ineffective pump. So instead of squeezing and letting up, squeezing and letting up, it's quivering so fast. Oh, I see. Okay. 
Yes, that the blood flows to a trickle. That's our window to open up that valve. If it's the Edwards valve, Mm -hmm. it's balloon expandable, meaning that we put fluid through a syringe up through that long delivery catheter, and it causes that valve to open or expand into place. And then as soon as we expand it open, we let the balloon down, and we ease back, and we let the heart resume in its normal beating. The other valve should we choose to use is the Medtronic's, and it's a self-expanding valve. Mm -hmm. So imagine it's like a spring-loaded. The material, literally, you can squeeze it and then let off, and it springs back to where it was made. Okay. So that valve is pulled down into a sheath. Then it can travel up. And when it's in the middle of the old valve, we do the same procedure of erasing the heart. Then we start slowly letting it out of its, for better word, cage, Mm -hmm. and it springs open and comes to life. With those 10 to 15 seconds of deployment, let the heart resume, Mm -hmm. and instantly the valve is working with no stitches, no sutures, no glue, nothing. Just the pressure of that valve and the predetermined size Mm -hmm. fits in that anatomy and holds into place. What determines which company's uh, equipment you guys use? Good question, because both valves are made differently. They're different tissue that's harvested. There's different frames, different pros and cons. So another reason for this multidisciplinary team to sit down and pour over all the anatomies. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to say we use this one because, or we use this one because, but if you looked at all the different thought process that goes into it, it's quite a bit. But we typically use about half and half, which allows our physicians the skill set to know how to operate both valves, how to implant both. Sure. So say I'm a patient, I just had this TAVR procedure done, and I'm now back with my family. They're coming to see me in the room. How long will I remain in the hospital? And how long will I basically have to be at home recovering before I can go back to work or get back to my normal life? Yes. Backing up a little bit, beautiful side of the TAVR valve is you don't have to be put what we call to sleep very deep. Oh, wow. So you're okay. never on a lung machine. You're always breathing on your own. Okay. Deeper to sleep than for some procedures mm-hmm. because you typically won't remember or experience uh, remembering anything that went on in the operating room, but you'll be conscious enough that you you can move around independently on the table. And if you move a little too much, we're going to ask and say, hey, Mr. Will, can you be still? Right. And your mind hears that and responds typically oh. appropriate. Okay. So that also makes for a, a much more enjoyable recovery because you are actually waking up really fast. You don't experience the breathing tube implanted. And so to have an aortic valve replaced and your biggest complaint is typically going to be the tape where we've got things taped down on you. Right. Or that your throat's dry because you've been NPO. Plus, we give medicines to dry up secretions so it doesn't sure. get into your lungs. That's so, much different than, I guess, what I was expecting to hear. Yes. Uh, you know, you think about the traditional open-heart surgery. You know, I've known people who've had that who are older from, you know, back home, and, you know, they've been down for months recovering. So it's amazing to me that a couple of days you'll be back to normal even sooner. We're talking hours talking hours so after the surgery within an hour we're typically going to have your family at your bedside with you wow within a couple more hours you're going to be setting up on the side of the bed in the chair if everything goes as we plan and we don't have any complications that we talked about earlier you're looking at going home 
maybe as soon as noon the next day. So you're going to have a bandage over groins if mm-hmm. we choose to go there. Bandage over any place where we had a, a special IV. That night, we like family members to stay with them. Mm-hmm. And the only restriction, let's hold off on driving or any heavy lifting for several days. Okay. And each of our doctors will make different determinations mm-hmm. based on that patient's process and their home environment as to what restrictions. So that kind of varies. Then you'll follow up with your cardiologist. Approximately 30 days later, we'll do another echo, which is looking at the heart function. Okay. And then we'll follow you for up to a year remotely, and then you just call as needed. Wow. That's really, that's really amazing. Now, what sort of certifications were required for Jackson General and for the Heart and Vascular Center to, uh, to have before you could start doing this pr- procedure? We're fortunate uh, to have a team of physicians that have structural heart experience, which is experience within the heart. Mm-hmm. That was one of the biggest requirements for any hospital to be uh, allowed to perform these surgeries. That's the hospital itself. Then for each physician, they have to be trained in delivering these devices, not only through their education, but then each company, Medtronics and Edwards, has Mm -hmm. their own training centers that we've gone to where they've brought such training material to us, Mm -hmm. and those physicians have been trained on it. Then they're proctored which is watched by very experienced physicians that are brought in Mm -hmm. and they stand over and they watch. And then once they're released at that point, it's just continuing education. So for us, we're over 400 implants and there are just recently some new certifications that hospitals can apply for because this whole industry is relatively new. Mm -hmm. And we were one of the first centers to go for and get recognized as a TAVR or transcatheter valve certification hospital. Wow. That's by the American College of Cardiology. In fact, we were the very first hospital in the state of Tennessee to receive this recognition. Oh, wow. In uh, November of 2020. So if someone out there is listening and they are experiencing some heart issues and they think they might need the TAVR procedure done, uh, who would they give a phone call to? Any patient that's having heart symptoms need to be under the care of a physician, whether it's their primary care Mm -hmm. or if they're already under the care of a cardiologist. But likely, their primary care doctor is going to get them in with a cardiologist. Okay. That's where the workup really begins. The diagnosis, the test, and as we talked earlier, then from there, they'll travel the pathway of being worked up. So that physician will contact the cardiothoracic surgeon office for an appointment. This is not something to be taken lightly, Mm -hmm. but it truly is a disease that's slow in progression, typically. So if your physician says, I hear something, and then they test and they see something, it is reasonable that they may say, we're going to watch it for now. Okay. Because we only replace this valve when it's severe, when there's symptoms and everything meets the criteria for severe aortic stenosis. Gotcha. Well, Scott, this has been very informative. Uh, I had no idea that this was a possibility for our patients here in West Tennessee in the Jackson area and beyond. Um, So thank you so much for coming in today. This has been, like I said, very uh, awesome to learn. And this has been another episode of We Talk Health.